Welcome in to Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of the Two for One Drafts podcast, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. Today, we are going to re-rank the 2020 wide receiver class, all the rookies, 210 there. And we're also going to look at our NFL and college football rookies slash prospects to watch on our weekly preview, the classics on the Wednesday episode. Then jump to our NFL and NCAA Green Line picks, where we're looking at a couple sides here we like on the weekly slate. And to finish the podcast, we interviewed uh, Trevor Sikama of the Draft Network, also formerly Tampa Bay Trey, a beat writer for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. A lot of fun stuff there. Talk rookies, second-year players, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and why the offense is so bad. A really good interview at the end of the podcast with Trevor Sikama. Let's get it. Mike Renner in the flesh, in studio, here in Cincinnati, wearing an absolutely absurd sweater today. You love it. This was the one we talked about on Monday's pod that my girlfriend got me that you said was obnoxious. That it's maybe a little so here's obnoxious, the problem. but here's I'm the obnoxious. Problem, so. it's, not, it's, not, it's not a sweater. Your girlfriend That's a hoodie. Me a picture it's a sweater. Yeah, I said sweater. Yeah. I screwed up. It's, it's a sweatshirt. It's a hoodie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a sweatshirt. It is a sweatshirt. But your girlfriend sends me a picture of you guys on Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. which is great. And we talked about this on the Monday episode, but I say, wow, that sweater's obnoxious. You didn't tell me. Not only did you not tell me that she got it for you, she freaking made it for yeah, you. Yeah, she That's a key detail. Herself. She didn't just yeah. get that for you. She made that sweater. And for the listeners out there, she made that with the intention of making it Notre Dame colors. So mm, I don't know if she missed the, the mark like necessarily. Yeah, no, it, didn't get to, it didn't get there. It started green and blue, and there was also gold, but then it finished tie-dye you can't really control Mike, for the youtube watchers can you remind them what notre dame's colors are when this does come on because they need to see a comparison i just don't know if it's all that close if you don't know notre dame's colors you shouldn't be listening to this podcast i I just think they need a side-by-side because you know it's it's a little tough it's a little look it up either way i feel bad we're currently scheming to get you a christmas present hannah and i are making oh but we'll find a way we'll find a way to make it happen it won't be a sweater mike it it won't be a sweater it's gonna be something even better than a sweater um All right, well, let's go ahead and jump into re-ranking the 2020 wide receiver class. I think this is an interesting conversation. We've seen, you know, 10-plus games. There hasn't been a lot of significant injuries at the top of the class either. So you've been some some have been hurt, but you've been able to see decent reps. Brandon Ayuk. Yeah, Brandon Ayuk is probably the one who's been most hurt. But um, I feel like you've still seen a decent amount of opportunities for all these guys to have some new information, some Mm -hmm. new details about them to move them up and down the board. Go ahead and give me your top receiver right now if you had to redraft the 2020 class i'm going with justin jefferson i think the biggest question mark that i had from coming out is he's going to get off the line of scrims efficiently is he going to play strong throughout his routes because he's a little bit of a skinnier guy you just never saw him have to do that and he does he does that wholesale he's very good off the line of scrimmage has been you know it's multiple ways to beat you and at that point, like his, the ball skills were never a question. The athleticism was never a question. His hands never a question. After the catchability, never a question. He's wide receiver one for me now. If I were redraft, man, that is that was tough for me. I, I wanted to do that that same bit there. I wanted to put Justin Jefferson number one. He's going to probably, if not break the PFF record for rookie receiving grade, if come right behind Odell Beckham Jr. in 2014. And we've seen mm-hmm. how Odell Beckham Jr. has panned out. 
I'm still putting Jerry Judy at number one and then Justin Jefferson at number two. I'm holding on to those last bit of priors that we had for Jerry Judy to be this elite separator in the NFL that's going to change the game. We haven't seen it yet, but how much can we blame the Denver Broncos quarterback situation? How much can we do? No, okay. I'm not going to argue with you there. That's It's just difficult to say. Like, if you're going to put him ahead, I'm not going to say, no, you're wrong. Um, But I do think it's interesting that you split that, like, Remember all draft season, we're like, Jerry, Judy, CeeDee Lamb, the gap is like this. They're so yeah. close. And you just fucking split it with Justin Jefferson. I did. I split it with because Justin CD's Jefferson. Because CeeDee's been great, too. Like, I went Justin Jefferson, Jerry, Judy, and CeeDee Lamb. I think if you're going anyone else in your top three, you're wrong. That's all. I'll say it, you're wrong then. You're not. We, we agree on that. I don't think you can. Like, Chase Claypool's been great. Some other guys have been great. If you're moving them above those any of those three guys, I still think you're wrong in that regard. Yeah. So, yeah, our top three right now all include Jerry Judy, Justin Jefferson, and CeeDee Lamb. Just you and I have Justin Jefferson and Jerry Judy swapped. At number four, we also both have Chase Claypool, yeah. a.k.a. Mapletron, which I think of I all the guys, that, hey, man, gonna, Justin Jefferson. This is a Mapletron free I'm going to call him Mapletron. It's, such, it's like the Watergate stuff. There's no, there's no like, Maple and Megatron. There's no reason he should be called, I don't know, it's just a terrible nickname. He uh, like you're just a hater, dude. You're just a hater and a loser. Okay, Mapletron is happening. Mapletron's a thing. Your girlfriend's making a sweater with Mapletron across the chest. That's your Christmas <laughs> if you present. give me anything that says Mapletron on it, <laughs> this isn't a podcast. We're, the podcast disbanding. All right, anyway, we have both, we both have Chase Claypool, the Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver up in Notre Dame. Yeah. Between him and Justin Jefferson, those are the two guys that probably make the biggest rise in a redraft yeah. compared to our, our, our preseason board. And well, Chase Claypool— I think like even compared to where they're drafted— even like where they were drafted. If you're redrafting right now, you're drafting Justin Jefferson in the top 10. You're drafting Trace Claypool in the top 15 to 20 picks. And he was, you know, picked, what, 50-something? That's just those guys were better than pretty much anyone had the evals out on them. And I think in addition to them being better, and I, you, you hear me harp on this all the time, I also think the development and the situations for those guys were both good. good. Yeah. Like Minnesota eased Justin Jefferson in, played him a ton in the slot. I think they ga- they yeah. gave him really easy route concepts to go, and they fed him targets, yeah. unlike a lot of other receivers on this list. Henry Ruggs has not been fed targets in any single game he's played mm-hmm. or run some easy routes, easy concepts. And for Chase Claypool, he's working a really good quarterback and with a coaching staff that has been bred to develop receiving talent like they've done with Deontay Johnson, yeah. Juju Smith-Schuster, Antonio Brown, and now Chase Claypool being in that mix as well. I, I, I think both those guys are benefiting from really good situations, and they're obviously really good football players. Yeah, I mean, it's like how, how much are... You mentioned you touched on Jerry Judy, some other guys on this list. How much is Jalen Rager? How much is any receiver? Like everyone's like, oh, he's picked the pick right before Justin Jefferson. Was is Justin Jefferson? How many yards does he have in Philly right now? Like <laughs> Carson Wentz can't hit the broadside bar. No. He's missing guys left and right, especially. And they're not doing the anything field. all that creative to get yeah, Jalen Rager exactly. the ball. So, uh, like situation still does matter a lot for initial perception of these guys i think that tends to balance out like if we're four years down the line and kind of still making that excuse well mm-hmm. if carson went still the quarterback there we could still make that excuse but like if four years down the line like nothing really has changed sometimes it still is yeah uh the player themselves so uh give me your guy after fifth. chase claypool at four all right chase claypool at four i'm going t higgins i was a fan of his coming out i think the body control the ball skills you've seen it all uh, and he could separate, as I kept saying, he could separate a little bit more than you'd expect for a taller wide receiver. I'm going him at five. I just think he's, I don't know if he's a number one, a true, you know, replacement for A.J. Green. Uh, he's never going to be on that level. But I just think he's a very good you know, starting wide receiver in the league for a long time. 
Yeah, I don't have T. Higgins next. I have Henry Ruggs next, and that's another Chase guy some. similar to Judy, where you're just kind of holding on to some priors here that he did have success at Alabama. Yeah. And everyone says, everyone says, you know, he's running a vertical route, he's taking the top off of the Raiders' offense. That's not what his role was at Bama, mm-hmm. and he was one of the most productive receivers in college football. Ran a ton of slants. He was not of- one of the most productive receivers in college football. Well, on, on a per on a per target basis, <laughs> okay, yeah, fair. On a per target basis, he, one of the most efficient, efficient college football receivers. There you go. I mean, he had the touchdown ratio was insane. The yards per target was yeah. insane. All that stuff was crazy. He didn't just get the volume compared to with Jerry Judy in that lineup, Devontae Smith in that mm-hmm. lineup. But Henry Ruggs, I still think running a different route tree and, and, and getting fed more targets, I, th- I think has better box score production than what he has right now. I do think there's a problem with him earning targets. We talked to uh, Trevor Sycamore later in the podcast about Ruggs and his performance so far, but I think Henry Ruggs, I'm still putting them there at five, and then T. Higgins for me comes at six for the okay. same reasons you said. I went Brandon Ayuk at six. Uh, I think his dynamism is, and he went to the perfect situation to utilize it like you're not going to a place like san francisco is going to be able to get the ball in your hands uh early in like and and often and take advantage of that so that's good for him but i think there's also other reasons to be encouraged on this tape so i'm going to go with him above rugs above jalen rager at this point man iuke over rager is crazy to me I know. I, I think we haven't seen a ton cool. of Ayuk. I also think that Ayuk's 49ers offense is really, really a really good situation for Brandon Ayuk. Yeah. Like a guy who's as dynamic as he is, as explosive as he is, he's getting really good targets in that offense. For Rager, again, I feel like I'm saying this my entire list, but really high on him coming out. Thought he could do something in the NFL. I mean, think he could be a really legit wide receiver in the NFL. Deshaun Jackson type for that Eagles offense. And Across the board, the Eagles offense is underwhelmed. Yeah, that was a tough. I mean, he had the opportunity for a touchdown. Was that Monday night, Sunday night? When did the Eagles play? Why am I blowing this? Um, he off the fingertips. That was on him for sure. Has had some, you know, misses this season or bad plays. But I, I, I still, I'm not like selling. I, I, you'd have to if any guy makes this top list, top ten list right now. I'm not selling on yeah, yeah. right now. I'm just saying that, you know, a lot of times. Like you want to see something the rookie year. If you're not seeing something, that's you're going to move down the list. So I'm just I have Brandon Ayuk at eight, and I see you have Henry Ruggs yeah. at eight. Mm-hmm. Both. I mean, I I think Brandon Ayuk has played really well in the stint that you've seen it. And I think I wasn't as high on Brandon Ayuk as you were coming out. I thought the limited route trade at Arizona State. I do, I agree with the explosiveness. I agree with the athleticism. But seeing him do it for the San Francisco 49ers, running some stuff from the slot, running different route concepts that we didn't really see at Arizona State, you could tell that he could be. That kind of playmaker for this offense, similar to it's the second highest grade rookie wide receiver, by the way. What'd you say? If you believe in PFF grades, second, second highest, highest grade receiver, rookie wide receiver. And then to finish here, nine and ten, we have the same guys: Lavisca Chanel Jr. of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and then Darno Mooney of the Chicago Bears. I didn't think this was that hard for nine and ten. Where I found yeah. difficulty was eleven, when I put Michael Pittman Jr. there. When I yeah. put Denzel Mims there on the limited snaps that we've seen, mm-hmm. that, that that is where I found some difficulty after. LaVisca Chanel Jr. there at 9, and then Darnell Mooney at 10. If you had to fit in an 11, who would you go with? I'd go with Michael Pittman Jr., just because no one's really... After that, I think that's... You've hit on everyone who's impressed this season, so to speak. Like yeah. Everyone who's like done something where, uh, you know, you change your perception well. of them. And so I'm just going to pretty much at that point revert back to your prior that's fair draft board at that point i think that's good i, I was debating between michael pittman jr denzel mims has played well i think those are the two guys that yeah. kind of came up for me but that is re-ranking yeah i think that would have been the next two literally if you just went on our draft board those were the next two wide receivers nice. that would so so 
that is re-ranking the 2020 wide receiver class. Now let's go ahead and jump into our NFL matchups to watch. Our NFL rookies to watch here. Go ahead and kick us off for the Week 13 slate. Can you believe it's Week 13? Dude. The season flies, man. It flies every single year. You're like, oh, wow, it's only Week 2, Week 3, and then next thing you know, it's Week 13. It's wild. I love it, actually. It's the best. Fall is the best. It's been a weird season. Absolutely. They've actively been trying to bone us on this pod with all the cancellations in the the NCAA ranks, but we're powering through. And the guy I want to watch this week is Kyle Duggar because he's been playing quietly very well. The guy we touch on a lot later with Trevor Sikamba and we've touched on a lot in this pod is Jeremy Chin with good reason. He's been exceptional for the Carolina Panthers, but Kyle Duggar's been... I, I think if he were playing a similar role, you'd be seeing similar sort of production. He's an excellent tackler. He's going up against you know Austin Eckler and the Chargers. The guy is pretty tough to bang down, pretty dynamic in space, but Duggar has the athleticism to match a guy like that. He is your new wave of defender in the NFL. I think you're going to see these guys coveted even higher. I think the only reason they ended up Duggar and Chin ended up going as low as they did at 37 and 64 respectively it's because they play at Lenoir Ryan in Southern Illinois. Yeah. You get those guys coming out of a blue blood, you, you know, someone like uh, Georgia, they're going top 15. Top fa- <laughs> Reminds me of my favorite um, kind of draft shtick that was going on when those two guys were at the combine and getting drafted. It's like, man, it can come. You can come from anywhere. You can go to any school and go to the NFL. It's like, guys, and run these guys are like 90th percentile athletes. Yeah. They're like have s- absurd size athleticism ratios. No. Uh, I don't think that's the reason, you know, exactly. I, 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 what's crazy is that they didn't go somewhere else. That's the crazy part. The, the part, the fact that they went to the biggest event for the NFL draft and performed well and then got drafted does not yeah. surprise me. You're not going to Lenoir Ryan playing wide receiver and getting drafted because you have a nice release package and run a four, six. Exactly. You're just not going. No, to it's it. not happening. I'm sorry. So, uh, Kyle Duggar in the last three games, like Adam played. Thielen. Probably was utterly ridiculous out, out of wherever he was, wherever he was. Yeah. Minnesota. I, I don't know where it was, but probably. But he didn't get drafted. You got to look. But yeah, yeah. In the last three games, uh, Kyle Duggar has played at least forty-five total snaps and had three-plus defensive stops. He's also missed some tackles in that, which is obviously digging his grade a bit. But he has played well of late with the increased snap count. Uh, go ahead and jump to mine here, Henry Ruggs. We talked about him at the top of the podcast here. We Can't talked about talking him with Trevor Sikama. Henry Ruggs needs to show up. The, mm. the Las Vegas Raiders, yes, on the road, are favored by seven and a half against a very bad New York Jets team, specifically a very bad New York Jets secondary. They have to find a way to scheme him targets, get him the football, and open up this offense. When they beat the Kansas City Chiefs, the only team the Kansas City Chiefs lost to, he had the most deep targets of any game this season and had multiple big plays down the football field. It matters. Stretching the field matters. And as much as you like Nelly, a.k.a. Nelson Aguilar, he's not going to be the guy for long term. I don't like Henry Ruggs. Henry Ruggs has to be that top 10 pick you drafted him for. And I think against the New York Jets, I'm looking for something. I'm banging the gavel, man. Show me something, Henry Ruggs. Give him the football. Create a game plan that, you know, at least have 10, 20 plays where you're thinking about him as a first read. At least and get Henry Ruggs the football this week against the New York Jets. Yeah, I, I agree. He just needs to be featured more. 13 deep targets on the season only so far. Give him some slants. Half as many as Tyreek Hill. Even if it's not you got all your Tyreek Hill and you gave him half as many deep targets. Give him the ball. Give him the ball. Um, I'm going to go with similar rookie wide receiver that we just touched on. Michael Pittman coming off a blackout. Three drop performance going up against an awful Texan secondary. This is one where, you know, everything is set up there. The alley oop has been thrown. All you got to do is throw it, send it in. Yeah. 
I think Michael Pittman Jr., the only thing I think of, I was recently scrolling TikTok, which I don't know if you scroll TikToks nope. yet. I'm 30 years old. You are 30 years old. I'm, I mean, I'm 26. I'm not like, yo. He's also wearing a tie-dye still. sweatshirt. You're also so, wearing a tie-dye sweatshirt. I know. Okay. You, you look nice like, call out, producer Quinn. He, he looks like a TikTok. Bang! Oh. Bang! <laughs> You're also that. wearing a tie-dye sweatshirt. <laughs> hey, I told him I liked it. Yeah, I, I, I'm not, it I was not lying. I liked it. I like that it represents Notre Dame well. That's yeah. my favorite part about it. The aspect of it that I liked is that it's very I might throw a Notre Dame like patch on it, like the crest. <laughs> Shut up. All right. Anyway, Michael Pittman Jr. had a TikTok where he showed his day and like how he progresses through his day. Yeah. Uh, he has a skinless cat, which is a, a, a nice change of pace. Which uh, okay. it, it's it's I've never seen. A I'd skinless rather a skinless cat, cat than a hairy cat. A skinless cat looks crazy. Yeah. It looks wild. I don't know if I would want a skinless cat in my house. It looks like a demon. Wouldn't want Either way, Michael Pittman Jr. and the skinless cat going against the skinless That's what he secondary. Does that will be without Bradley Roby. Good uh, transition there. Um, yeah, without without Bradley Roby, obviously Will Fuller on the other side of the ball. They like The fact that you hired Brian Cushing. Stop. Don't make that narrative. I mean, I'm just saying, the fact that you hired Brian Cushing, who was maybe the biggest roided meathead since Bill Romanowski. Since Clay Matthews. Okay, they're on the same team. Um, it came out the same year. But the fact that you hired him to be your strength and conditioning coach and then have two guys pop for PEDs on the exact same day is just its too perfect. It's like it you hilarious. can't write. Hollywood would call that too hokey. It was it was hilarious. I, I, I loved that draft, by the way, where all three of those USC linebackers came out and everyone was just like, where will they go? These This yeah. trio, Brian Cushing, Clay Ma-luga. Matthews, Ray Maluga. It was like, this Brady is Brady Quinn hated those guys. Yeah. They hated them. Yeah, they definitely hated them. All right. Uh, my next pick here is AJ Terrell, who quietly is the second highest graded rookie cornerback in the NFL right now, has played a lot better of late. And originally, I remember when we were talking about AJ Terrell, we were saying, man, this guy looks lost. The NFL is, is too fast for him right now. But... Things have calmed down for him. Even talking to Sam Monson, who's a big defensive backs evaluation guy, has liked what A.J. Terrell has done for the Atlanta Falcons of late. And he's got a big matchup coming up, going against uh, Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders at home. That's also my green line pick. I'm going to make that transition for us. My green line pick is A.J. Terrell and the Atlanta Falcons plus three at home against the Taysom Hill-led New Orleans Saints. I know that's dangerous. I know betting on the Atlanta Falcons is dangerous. But back-to-back games at home, coming coming off an absolute bludgeoning, of the visiting Las Vegas Raiders. And I'm not saying Taysom Hill and his New Orleans Saints offense is solved by any means, but I do think it gets better the second time you see it. And I think the Atlanta Falcons are going to come at Taysom Hill with some some better looks this week. I think the Taysom Hill offense is also like completely removed Alvin Kamara from the conversation, which I, I think the Saints are going to try and get him back into it. There's going to be some question marks there. I think Atlanta at home, plus three. Let's get it. Ooh, okay. I, uh... I actually like that. I usually hate the Atlanta picks. I usually think they're just get on board. Welcome, abysmally overrated. They call them sweat Atlanta week, for a reason. If you want to sweat, after, what? If you want to sweat a bet, you sweat Atlanta. Sweat Atlanta. You didn't okay. have to sweat last week. To be fair, though, I will say I, I do think that two weeks after face Taysom Hill, like now you kind of know. Yeah, you like you, you have a better handle. He's not gonna beat you as a downfield passer. I think Falcons. I like Falcons plus three there. I'm going to go a little different route, though. I'm going to go with the Steelers. Minus nine and a half. I think they're going to Washington on Monday night. Now, they still haven't played this week's game yet, so that game could get moved to next Thursday. Who knows when they're actually going to play this game with uh, all the stuff that's going on. They're just getting it. They were getting screwed by this the, like the third time they've had games messed up this season, yeah. the Steelers. But... 
nine and a half. They're just a much, much better team. Like we keep George called the most overrated team in the NFL and ruined like everyone at PFF's mentions for Steelers fans. But like, yes, they're overrated. They're not a perfect team, but I still think they're the best team in the AFC. I would still they're pick the best them team in the AFC? neutral site over the Kansas State Chiefs right now. Really? Yes. Uh, because no one has the front four that they have. That is just that is so massive in today's NFL that you have it changes up game plans entirely. Like Patrick Mahomes can't do ninety percent of the things. Okay, that's an exaggeration. He can't do twenty five percent of the things that make him Patrick Mahomes against front four like that. You can't do those pocket drifts going out the back of the pocket. He's just going to get killed in a game like that. He's so not you take the, the Steelers over the Chiefs in the, in the neutral side right, right now. now. Yes, You're I just said that. High, you're high. There's no way. Okay. Who lost to the Raiders this year? Okay, that that was one game. <laughs> I get that, but I, I think the that, Steelers haven't had like any like real super close calls like that. I don't. Know. I just think the Chiefs or the Steelers are the more complete team at this point. Yes, Ben Roethlisberger hasn't played up to snuff, but Ben Roethlisberger is that type of guy who, it, when the lights shine brightest, he's going to turn it on. So I will go, and this is not going to be on the lights shine brightest. He's playing the Washington football team, but I'm going to go minus nine and a half. Give me the Steelers in that one. Nice, man. Wild, wild stuff there. All right, let's jump to the NCAA here and look at some prospects to watch this week. You kick us off. All right, prospects to watch. I'm going to kick off with a top five running back on our latest running back update that drops today on PFF.com running back rankings. Khalil Herbert, Virginia Tech, the former Kansas running back. Uh, one of Stocky the best, build. best tackle breakers in the country. Going up against Clemson. Best defense is going to face all season. Because um, they didn't face Notre Dame. Probably won't have a ton of opportunities to run the football if they go down as quickly as you know the last team Clemson's played. But Just we'll see what run. can happen. 5'9", 212, that Khalil Herbert is. Horse. Dude's um, tough to bring down. He's an absolute monster. Has a 91.0 PFF grade so far this year. Four years at Kansas, never cleared that mark. First year at Virginia Tech, 91.0 PFF grade so far. Also has 35 avoided tackles so far this year, which is quite impressive for Khalil Herbert. My two guys are both senior bowl invites. I'm getting senior bowl excited. Senioritis, mm. if you will. Uh, First one being Tylen Wallace. He's uh, the Oklahoma State receiver that, again, another guy that we talked to Trevor Sicka about. Senior Bowl's going to be big for him. Yeah, Tre- Trevor, Sikma, Trevor Sikma, to preview the interview, calls Tylen Wallace one of his favorite players in the 2021 draft. One of one of those sleeper types that, because the wide receiver class is so deep, he's a big fan of Tylen Wallace and where he'll go. And he's another guy that's grown on on my in my liking a ton this year. He's played a lot better this year. I think they've run more diverse concepts for Tylen Wallace. Him going against TCU this week, a senior bowl invite. I'm excited to watch more Tylen after talking to Trevor. Yeah. Uh, who was your other one? My other one is Tough Borland, who is another senior bowl invite, who is younger brother of Chris Borland, who is one of the highest graded linebackers in all of PFF history. If you stop the count when he only played like, what, 400, 500 snaps that year, obviously retired due to concussion issues. But Tough Borland. Wait, they're not related. They're not related? No. I thought they were related. I was just going to say, fun fact, they're not related, but Tough Borland's dad did play linebacker at Wisconsin. What? Yes. Look it up. I've been led, a, I've been led astray. They're not related. I actually I'm, want to drop them down my board. Now. I'm pretty sure they're not right. That's like the Bosa thing. Double if check you didn't that. know, no, I, I'm pretty. Sure, I'm like almost 99 percent sure they're not related. All right, I'm going to look into that because um, Chris was. He from, is in no relation to Chris Borland. Because Chris Borland is from, uh, I want to say, Ohio somewhere. Um, How good was Chris Borland though? Which is, oh, Chris Borland was awesome. That was the best run defending linebacker I've seen in uh, college. He was just awesome. Um, but, yeah, Tylen Walsh really needs a senior bowl. I'm saying he could be one of those guys like a 
Terry McLaurin who just tears it up there. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, why did he go so low? Um, tough Boyland, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of. Also, he might not play this week. Probably won't play this week because I think Ohio State's game is getting canceled against Michigan Really? State, right? You think Ohio State's going to get canceled? I think it will. Then remember, and then you see the thing where Kirk Herbstreit had to apologize for suggesting that Michigan would not play so that Ohio State can't play in the Big Ten championship game. I did not see that. You didn't see this? Oh, my God. It was hilarious. He likes, I can't remember his exact wording, but he's like, because if Michigan does, like if this game gets canceled and then Michigan game gets canceled the week after that, they can't play in the Big Ten championship game, Ohio State. And mm-hmm. then they're basically like out of the playoff. Out of the playoff. They're going to have four games all season long. Who's going to take that in the playoffs? No, they still might, but that would be, uh, he ended up having to apologize for that. He didn't have to. I don't think he should have, but everyone <laughs> lose their mind over COVID-related shit. So, all right, my last one is Kingsley and Negbury, the uh, South Carolina edge defender going up against Darian Kennard, the Kentucky tackle, a guy we've touched on Kingsley a bit, explosive 270-pound edge rusher having a breakout campaign this year, and then Darian Kennard, a big, burly 340-ish pound tackle, probably more of a guard at the NFL level, but he's one of the he's best run blockers in the country. Yep. That should be a good one to watch. Man, I'm kind of bummed out that Tough Borland isn't related to Chris Borland. That's brutal. Right? Does that actually drop you down? It might drop, drop me down, down a little bit. I don't know. But I'm excited he's for Tough Borland. Tough Borland's also playing in the game so. that if it doesn't get canceled, I'm betting on this week, which hasn't been great for me. I've been betting on a lot of games that get canceled. <laughs> but I got Ohio State minus 23 and a half against Michigan State. You're doing the yo-yo won't. on Ohio State. What? One week you're against them, one week you're... Well, I know, my, I know when to pick it. Okay? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not one-side You have a good handle. Here. You have a good handle on their yeah, talent. I'm a sharp. I'm a sharp. Okay, I'm going to Vegas tonight, and I'm going to put next week's rent Next week's rent. I don't play rent weekly. Next month's rent on uh, Ohio State minus 23 and a half. A, if that game is getting played, I like it. like one of those weekly motels, those extended stays. I'm actually staying in a motel right now. I'm in a pit of misery. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mine's going to be, and I actually like that if they do play that game, 23 and a half. I'm going to go Purdue minus two against Nebraska. Thanks. They don't have an answer for Rondo Moore. Nebraska sucks. How's their front four? <laughs> Not good at all. This is Purdue is going to give them the business as they say awesome stuff mike always love the wednesday pod man always love previewing the the slate we're also going to keep mixing in some new segments at the top of these wednesday episodes where we're looking at re-ranking the receiver class maybe looking ahead to the senior bowl that senior bowl list is getting kind of fat i want to start talking about it a little bit i'm getting excited i'm yeah. starting to get interested she's starting to get interested now i'm all of a sudden i'm trying to act like i'm interested but um we're going to go ahead and jump just, now to all i really care about is if we can go if we can go i don't know man that seems like a pipe dream going to mobile and getting in that cluster. The La Quinta Inn, I think, might be COVID zero, patient zero, was at La Quinta Inn in Mobile. It's like Alabama. one of those things where like the hotel itself already got it. So now the whole, t- the whole hotel is immune yeah. because it's been swimming in it all summer long. It was a great time, though. I do love the Senior Bowl. There's yeah. a couple things I learned at the Senior Bowl that we'll have to get into if we do go again. But that's going to do it for this part of the podcast here. Now we're going to go ahead and jump to our interview with Trevor Sycamore. Two for One Drafts is brought to you by pristineauction.com. Check out their daily auctions with $1 starting bids on over 8,000 football items up for auction. Signed helmets, balls, jerseys, and much more. Pristine Auction guarantees authenticity on every product. Use code PFF for $10 off your first invoice. 
PFF and Sunday Night Football's Chris Collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field, 49ers All-Pro cornerback Richard Sherman. The Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman is available now wherever you find your podcasts. They will provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week, and sometimes that means the discussion will venture off the field, too. Additionally, Chris will be taking a deep dive into the game of football as he sees it, inviting the best and brightest to talk about everything that is happening in the great game of football. Mark your calendars. You do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season. MooseFit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals, the time you have available, and the equipment you have at your disposal. Purchase your MooseFit membership and a MooseFit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire. Based on the information provided in the questionnaire, your MooseFit coach will either assign a pre-made program to you or will create a custom program for you. No two programs are the same. MooseFit is well-equipped to help provide you with daily workouts that will help you reach reach your health and fitness goals. For PFF listeners, use code PFF50 and receive 50% off your first month. For more information, check them out on Instagram at MooseFit or on their website, www.moosefit.co.com.co. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Joining the Two for One Drafts podcast for the second or third time, Trevor. I apologize for not knowing the exact number. I feel like I see you every day. Obviously, a really good, really good follow on Twitter. Tampa Bay Trey, happy to have you on the podcast. You're across all the podcasts now. You're on the Forecast with George and Eric Eager. This is the better podcast, though, right? You're more excited to join Mike and I. No, yeah, absolutely. Uh, y'all are y'all are the OGs, and. You're right. I, th- I think I've made my rounds around basically all the PFF podcasts. So, like, next appearance is going to cost money. Like, this is the last free one I got I to be doing. You can't be having me all over the network. And that's it. I mean, like, this face ain't for free. You know what I'm saying? Especially that y'all totally understand. I totally understand. Mike Renner's girlfriend actually charges him for certain appearances, too, which is an interesting situation. But I'll send you a Venmo after the podcast. I want to start with this. Like I said, follow uh, Trevor Sikma of the Draft Network on Twitter at Tampa Bay Trey. You recently wrote an article on the New England Patriots offensive line, kind of calling them underrated, saying they need more hype. I know they've graded really, really well this year, even with different injuries at offensive tackle. I say Wynn has graded really well. At center, they've graded well. David Andrews. But what I need to bring up, is this day three pick that has absolutely exceeded expectations along the Patriots offensive line, playing multiple positions. He's played more than 50 snaps at left guard, right guard, and right tackle. Michael Onwenu of Michigan. What has been your opinion of Onwenu? He's obviously graded really well here at PFF. Mike and I talk about him a decent amount on the podcast. But from your perspective, when you turn on the film, what are you seeing from Michael Onwenu? I mean, like you talk about it right there, like the versatility with him and the versatility that he brings is huge because – from my days back covering the Bucks on the, on the Bucks beat, something that Dirk Cutter used to say when he was the head coach is, look, you either have a for sure starting role on this team as an offensive lineman, or you have to know to play all five positions. Like, that's just the way it is. You have to be able to have versatility for them. And he's shown that at a starter level. So that's, you know, it, instead of like being a swing guy, that will come in every now and then. I mean, he's been exactly what they needed him to be in. It's crazy when you have that much movement along the offensive line and yet you could stay that cohesive. And so with the New England Patriots losing one of the best offensive line coaches, maybe the best one of the best position coaches of all time and Dante Scarnacki, I figured that, okay, you know, like his 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 teachings are still gonna be around the offensive line, but it's not gonna be that dominant unit like we saw in the past. But holy cow, it is. I went back to to write about Damian Harris about 
a week or two ago just because he was playing really well and he was grading out really well. And I was like, man, Damian Harris, like coming on in the scene. I got to see how he's doing. And as I watched that entire tape, I was like, holy cow, this New England Patriots offensive line is like dominating at every single position. So uh, I went over to y'all's fine website over at pff.com and I, and I realized that there are multiple players at every position on this offensive line that is in the top 10 in terms of grades of where they're at. And that's not even including Isaiah Wynn and Joe Thune. Like those aren't the dudes who are in the top 10. And we know that they're probably the most talented players on the offensive line. So we know that they can bring it outside of what their grades might be in. I was just really impressed. I mean, like on Wayne, who's been fantastic for them. He's been, I don't know if I'm going to say like a missing piece, but when you have that much movement along the offensive line, you figure you're going to drop a little one way or the other, because chemistry is so involved when you're talking about strong O-line play, but he's been great at a variety of different roles. And, Man, that Patriots ground game is good behind that line. What was your take on Owen coming out? No, I mean, I thought that, you know, he was going to be a day three guy, and he was. I mean, he's not a guy that I spent a ton of time thinking about because I didn't know if he was going to be a first-year starter in the league. Like, I thought he was just going to be a backup guy, and I think you see this across all positions. You get in these spots where you go to the right team, the opportunity's there, you get the right coaching, and boom, like all of a sudden it's just like the tape is so different when you're a pro to when you were coming out of uh, school. So I did not expect this. I'm not going to sit here and think that I uh, I claimed on Wainu being a future starter and a future stud at wherever it was he was going to be. I thought he was going to be a backup guy. And so, um, yeah, to see this from him, it's, it's a great turnaround. No, we – definitely did not expect it either it's kind of crazy to watch him another guy who we didn't expect to hit the ground running this quickly and not a lot of people did because he was a late second rounder that you just wrote about is jeremy chin of the carolina panthers real swiss army knife for that defense what a lot of people wanted kind of isaiah simmons to be right out the gate right. he obviously had the two touchdowns what have you seen from him this year compared to what we saw from at southern illinois as a player yeah, so, I mean, he's, like, kind of – I think he's still officially listed as a safety, is he? Is he officially listed as a – because he plays, like, this pseudo-linebacker role where I he's number one on the team in total tackles. I think he's tied with Shaq Thompson at 87 total tackles. And so they're putting him in a position, whether you're calling it a safety or more near the linebacker area, they just want this guy near the ball, and he's giving them exactly what they want from him. And you're right, going into the draft, it was kind of – Isaiah Simmons, Kyle Duggar, and Jeremy Chin. There were these three guys where you went, oh, this is the future of NFL defense. Like, defense coordinators are going to have their their ultimate chess piece that they can use wherever. And that's nice to say in theory, but you still really have to get certain positions down when you can uh, when you can really start to see a lot of production in a lot of different areas. And so we've seen that it's been slower for those other two guys, but for Jeremy Chin, and I really didn't – I agree with you. I did not expect this as much – on a really young Carolina defense, he has really showed up. And of course, you know, the two touchdowns he scores this past weekend, it's really cool. He became the first Panthers player to have two defensive touchdowns in one game. He became the first NFL player to have a uh, back-to-back defensive touchdowns, but those are kind of opportunistic, right? It's not like he's making those sole plays. However, when it comes to defensive player of the year awards, we know that that's a very stat driven thing. And, this is now giving him stats that can really separate from other players. And so when I was kind of doing that article, writing about him and recapping his year, I kind of put it up against Patrick Queen, Chase Young, uh, Julian Blackman, uh, and and all all those guys. And so I still think that Chase Young is the front runner for defensive player of the year, just because how much attention he's been getting, how much of a win rate he has as a pass rusher, and he's still getting sacks. And I think that he's probably going to end around – I don't know, stick seven, eight sacks. And I think that just because his name is Chase Young and he was the number two overall pick, he might be the guy they give the award to. But 
Chin's really stuffing the stats in a lot of different ways, and I think they're more linebacker stats than they would be safety and coverage stats, but still, he's doing a great job. Yeah, I think the thing I would add to that, too, with the Defensive Rookie of the Year award, it's not just a stats-focused award. It's a it's a simple stats award. You know, tackles, combined tackles, right, right. defensive touchdowns and picks is what gets it to you. And that's why when you look at betting odds ahead of the season, you see guys like Patrick Queen or even previous years, Devin Bush, Devin White, guys that are going to rack up a ton of tackles, usually ranking highly there in odds. Uh, Ryder, do you want something to add there? Yeah, I was just going to say, was there anyone else in this rookie class that has either – besides those two guys, that has either really exceeded your expectations or you had high expectations for that's not come close to living up to them? On the defensive side of the ball or just like in general? Just in general. I mean, I was I was certainly hoping that uh, Henry Ruggs and, and Jalen Rager, those guys would kind of hit the ground running a little bit faster than they have been. I mean, like Ruggs has been fine, but like I looked at Ruggs and I thought this is a all-around receiver. Like, I thought this was a guy that you could play at a variety of different levels and you can use him at, uh, in different ways in a game plan. And it just seems like in this Raiders offense, the way that they have it right now, he's strictly a deep threat. Like, that's what they want him to be. And he's serving a purpose. Like, he's taking the top of the defense and he's opened things up for the other guys and he's doing well, obviously, as we've seen the Raiders offense doing pretty well. But I thought that he would have more overall production than he has right now. And then Jalen Rager, when I looked at that for the Philadelphia Eagles, like – I was hoping that he was going to be able to hit the ground running simply because I knew the Philadelphia Eagles were really going to need him. And now they have him and they still need that kind of production. Like he just has not been able to bring it the way that I've needed to guys that I've uh, been pleasantly surprised about though, Tristan Wirfs. So no, I think that you would, you, you and I mm-hmm. talked about this not too long ago, but he's been fantastic in a draft where we looked at the top four offensive tackles and we thought, Oh, you can't go wrong with any of them. It, it just seems like he's, I mean, he's almost playing at an all-pro level for a rookie, which I think is pretty crazy. And so, I don't know, those are just a couple of the names that come to mind when I think about this rookie class. Henry Ruggs and Jalen Rager, too. I think with Ruggs, he's not earning targets in that offense. And you've heard Derek Carr talk a little bit about, you know, him being out of place in some th- in some ways and him feeling more comfortable throwing to Hunter Renfro and Nelson Aguilar over Hunter, uh, Henry Ruggs. I think that has been a little bit concerned. With Jalen Rager, Carson yeah, Wentz think- just played poorly. I mean, I mean yeah. that, that offense entirely has struggled with injuries. And I think even Jalen Rager has struggled with injuries as right. a rookie, and so has Ruggs. I think... I think the opportunity is there theoretically in the Eagles offense because they don't have a huge, you know, the receiving core has been banged up and Rager has been there, but that offense overall has not met expectations, making it that much more difficult for a receiver like Rager to come in and play well. Yeah. I think the fact that Ruggs has taken a backseat to a guy like Nelson Aguilar not is, a little, is a little more concerning <laughs> than what Rager said. And I think, I, I don't know. Again, I kind of, I put a lot of weight into earning targets in an offense because it's it's easy to say he's taking the top off and he's not just not getting targeted he doesn't have the volume but I do think that Henry Rogues is not earning targets in this offense compared to other receivers when Nelson Aguilar is leading the team in deep receptions and deep targets right, that right. has to be your concern with that production I think you could expect a year or two jump but go ahead I had another guy that I wanted to add and I know his coverage grade isn't great and his his overall coverage assignments haven't been exactly what we've wanted it to be but every time that i watch the vikings i feel like jeff gladney's playing with a lot of confidence like especially against the run when it comes up to making tackles he i feel like he's playing very confidently and for a Mm -hmm. corner y'all know this playing rookie corner in the nfl is extremely difficult there's a lot of stuff that you have to to focus on and, and learn and acclimate to nfl strengths and speeds and all that and when you are able to do that like stay in a learning phase and yet still play as confidently as I feel like Jeff Gladney is that has really stood out to me over the last couple of games. So certainly I I think that there's a ways to go, especially from him 
in a coverage standpoint, but I really am encouraged by what I'm seeing from Jeff Gladney, even through his coverage struggles. And that doesn't surprise me with Gladney of all the cornerbacks that could come into the NFL without, you know, with an abbreviated offseason, no preseason, and come in with confidence. He had the most snaps played of any cornerback in this class. He had four years at TCU, played a yeah. ton of starter reps there. And I think you do see confidence tackling in the NFL. He's a very aggressive corner, um, physical corner, despite having small size. I, I agree. Jeff Gladney has not graded super well. They've given up a ton of big plays in that Vikings defense and that will always ding you in PFF coverage grades. But I do think he's played with confidence compared to some of these other guys who look completely lost at times at rookie cornerback. I think he has played well. Uh, I want to shift gears a little bit and jump back to the 2019 class. Mike and I, in a recent podcast episode, re-ranked the 2019 wide receiver class. He took A.J. Brown over D.K. Metcalf. He took A.J. Brown over D.K. Metcalf. And then I think it was Terry McLaurin after that. But the name we didn't bring up, and I had DK Metcalf, then A.J. Brown, then Terry McLaurin as the top three. The name we didn't bring up, I think largely because he's battled injuries this year and hasn't been able to take that step, is Debo Samuel, a guy that Kyle Shanahan has turned into one of the best yak receivers in the NFL for back-to-back seasons now. Where does Debo Samuel rank right now for you from that 2019 wide receiver class? And if you can, let's re-rank that class a bit here. Give me your top three, top four. I would so like for the four like those are the four names those mm-hmm. are clearly the four names I would still take DK number one although like AJ has been phenomenal I, it, it is I know that we we pounded the old Miss joke a million times but it's unreal that these guys came from the same program at the same time <laughs> and did not have the success that they did and so I would still take I would take DK number one I would take AJ number two but those are two phenomenal options I think I would take Oh man, Debo and Terry is. I think I would take Debo three. Wow, and then I would take hmm. Terry at four. But I don't know. You're you're splitting hairs there because I guess that it would kind of depend because Debo's entire mold I feel like as a versatile yards after catch, get the ball in his hand quick, ball carrier vision, break tackles kind of a player is perfect for Shanahan, and you're seeing a mold of an elite trait going with an elite coach who knows how to set up that elite trait. I I think I was looking today on uh, um, NFL's next gen stats and I know that he's missed a little bit of time. So it's kind of skewed because he hasn't played as much. Like he doesn't have as much of those common reps as you'd probably want, but Debo Samuel is averaging 13 yards after the catch for every catch that he gets. The next closest guy in the NFL has 7.8. Like, that is not even in the same galaxy of the efficiency that he has once you get the ball in his hands. And so I think I would go with Debo, but it it all actually really depends kind of what offense you're going with because Terry McLaurin has been unbelievable the last two years over some terrible quarterback play. Um, Not a great coaching – not great coaching stability, obviously, as we saw in his first year. And yet he's a guy who, through it all, you could tell that he's been very focused. He's worked on his craft incredibly hard, and – when the opportunity came for them to have an open captain slot this year, I'm sure you guys saw this, but the team overwhelmingly voted for Terry McLaurin to have that extra captain spot for him to represent them as a captain, as just a second year player in the league. And it kind of just like speaks to how devoted, how serious this guy is to pair with how good he is. And so, man, these are four really, really good receivers for, for different reasons. But I think that that would be my order. You're not putting to kill Harry in there. I am not putting Nikhil Harry in there. I, Come on. Uh, I am Did you not see his dominator rating? His dominator rating was actually really high. And I think if, if you use that as a prior, I think Nikhil Harry does crack your top five. Who's who's five? Like who would five be? I don't know. There's Deontay. there's Nicole, there's like Nicole Hardman, Hunter Renfro, 
I guess Travis Fulgham's in there too. Deontay Johnson, probably. Who? Deontay, Deontay, Johnson. Deontay Johnson probably at five, right. maybe. Yeah, right. that makes You're sense. Right. That makes You're sense. Right. It's tough. Nikhil Harry's not coming in at five, unfortunately. That's no, uh, with Terry McLaurin. I wanted to add to that before we jump to a Buccaneers question. Your Tampa Bay trade for a reason, okay? You didn't mm-hmm. change the handle for a reason. We got to talk about our Buccaneers here. But with Terry McLaurin, you know him getting captain. I think. Two things have been really impressive about him as well. His role has changed pretty significantly in year two. His average depth of target has dropped a ton. They're not just using him as this vertical threat with speed. They're getting him underneath routes, underneath catches and receptions. And his yards after the catch, he was not a yak guy compared to A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel last year. It was one of the things where you you saw those two guys – head and shoulders above Terry McLaurin. This year, he's one of the highest-ranked receivers in yards after the catch because he's got a lower average depth of reception, which obviously has a high correlation, positive correlation to yards after the catch. I think that his role changing and him still having success, I think what he leads the NFL in receiving or he, he's like up there top three, he's been really, really impressive. And I'm not surprised by the captain status. Talking to this guy, I talked to him after the Darius Slay matchup. And the dude was surgical with how he approached Darius Slay and how much film he watched and what he was trying to do and the release packages and all that stuff. And uh, Mike makes fun of me, but when you talk to some of these guys that you can just tell have a a switch flipped in their head about being a a game planner and really like managing the game from a film perspective, in addition to being a 4-3 speed athlete with all that size and intangibles. But that's my rant on Terry McLaurin. Shall we jump into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and an offense Mm. that's just, let's just call it what it is. With Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, a really good offensive line, TB12 has underwhelmed. The expectations were insane. The expectations were Super Bowl champions, but they've underwhelmed with Bruce Arians at the helm. Fix the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense for me. How does it get better? You know, it's it's they've got to be a lot more committed and I think streamlined to where they want the ball to go in certain situations. And against Carolina, and I get that it's Carolina. It's not the same as, as playing like Los Angeles or, or New Orleans in those defenses. But against Carolina, I felt like they had a really good blueprint for what their offense should be. You know, you're running a lot of your stuff primarily through Mike Evans. You're going to, and if it's working, you continue to feed him. On those, like, clutch money down kind of throws, the ones where you really need something to come up, they were going to Godwin a lot because Godwin is truly one of the most reliable wide receivers in the NFL. And I think that that was um, – that was something that they were having a lot of success with going to in those situations. And Godwin even like with that as the blueprint, giving more attention to Mike Evans in general and in the red zone, and then going to Godwin in certain situations where he really needed to catch, like Godwin still had more receiving yards than Mike Evans. And I think that's, that's okay. If you have that plan, Antonio Brown, I feel like should be a player who depending on the matchup is a vertical threat, whether it be mainly on the outside or mainly from the slot. Like, I think that that's what he is supposed to be able to do for your team behind those top two guys. And then when it comes to the running game, like just give the ball to Ronald Jones. Like, what are we doing with Leonard Fournette here? I don't really understand. And like, this is, this is, we are now weeks and weeks and weeks into proving that Ronald Jones is clearly better when he has the ball in his hand. Does he have like some fumble issues? Yeah, of course. But it just baffled me how much they continue to go back to Leonard Fournette. And I don't understand a lot of what's going on with, with the game plan and some of the district, distribution there we go of targets and it's almost like the fear that we talked about as this team was being formed are there too many options on this team do they not know where to go with the ball every single week and it just seems like that's the case they're just not as definitive of what they need and two I I guess like Tom Brady and these wide receivers in Arians offense is hard you know, like there's a lot of different option and checks and a lot of chemistry that goes into it with receivers. And they clearly just don't have it right now. So 
it, I think a lot, I think in the beginning of the year it was a lot more of just an Arians offense. Like it was Tom Brady being plopped into what an Arians offense was. And now you're kind of seeing it shift. Okay. Well now we're getting Brady a little bit more involved. Arian has, has said that Brady calls the plays now. And I'm not, I'm not sure how true that is. I don't think it's a, a total lie or anything. I just don't know how true that is. And it just seems like there's, not a lot of continuity, not a lot of confidence in what's going on. And even though they have the weapons there, they don't know exactly where to go with it. You're seeing a lot of the struggles on the field. You said we're weeks into proving that Leonard Fournette or that Brown Jones is a better option to Leonard Fournette. I'd say we're years into that by now. But <laughs> back to the point of the Bucks' offense struggling, do we think it gets turned around by playoff time? Do they, can they run the table in the NFC still? I don't, I, I don't think so. And when I was on George and Eric's podcast, oh, this had to have been, what was it, four-ish weeks ago, about a month ago, I said that the Bucks would reach the Super Bowl, which was against what I thought at the beginning of the year before the season even started, and I should have stuck with it. And the reason why I said that at that time is they were coming off wins against the Green Bay Packers and against the Las Vegas Raiders, and they were flying high, and I kind of drank the Kool-Aid a little bit. But going into the year, I said, like, I don't think they're legit Super Bowl contenders. I think the Bucs are going to break their playoff curse this year because they are simply too talented not to do that. So I think that they are going to make the playoffs. I even think they could win a game, maybe two in the playoffs. But a Super Bowl contender is different. You've got to win three, four games in a row. You've got to be confident in exactly what you're doing. I mean, shoot, look at the Tennessee Titans last year. They had maybe the two most impressive wins in the playoffs over uh, the New England Patriots and then the Baltimore Ravens. And it wasn't enough to make a Super Bowl. It's just, it's... It takes so much to get there. It takes such a good game plan and such a strong identity in who you are, and the Bucks don't have that. So I think that they ultimately make the playoffs, and I do think that they are going to figure it out a little bit better than what we have seen recently, and it might yield a, a playoff win, maybe even two, but I don't think they're Super Bowl contenders this year. That's what I said at the beginning of the year. That's what I should have stuck, stuck with even in the, the high moments. I really do think that – next year when they really kind of figure out exactly who Tom Brady is in this offense with Arians, figuring that out and having that kind of confidence moving forward, uh, that would be the year for them to strike. What's unfortunate, and, and we got two questions on the 2021 NFL draft class, and then we'll jump, but I want to talk to you on this, the Buccaneers, is what's unfortunate is so much is being made of the offense because there's so many stars on offense, Bruce Arians, and there's expectations there, but the defense has also played well above expectation. Devin White has had a really good year for them. Carlton Davis, despite being put on an island against Tyreek Hill, has played really well this year. <laughs> Sean Murphy Bunting has had good reps. I mean, Jamel Dean has played well. Shaquille Barrett ranks inside the top five in pass rush win rate this year. Like, the defense has played well above expectation, but it's an afterthought because the offense is what's had that those high expectations since right. the offense that's underperforming looking ahead to the 2021 NFL draft I I, I read recently you know Dean Brugler has said this Mike has said this there's not necessarily a clear defensive player one in the 2021 NFL draft I think if you had to pick one if I had to pick one I'd lean Micah Parsons that generational talent at linebacker but it's a very good cornerback class at the top with Patrick Sutan Caleb Farley uh Caleb Farley who is your defensive player one in the 2021 class right now knowing that obviously a ton of film has to be watched and obviously the combine etc has to come I still think it's Micah Parsons and and it's it's kind of boring to say that because he hasn't played at all this year so we're just going off of what our projections were of him coming off of last year which last year I mean he caught fire towards the end of the season that mm -hmm. that end of the year run especially going into the bowl game I mean he was simply dominant and so I think that he still edges out as the number one defensive player I mean Gregory Rousseau, we went into this year thinking like, wow, 
he could really solidify himself as edge one. And anytime that happens, you know, that the top 10 could be, uh, you know, could be in your future. He was very versatile, played at a variety of different techniques with Miami, but he opts out as well. And then you think, okay, this is a guy who was 245, you know, does he weigh enough? What's he going to look like when he puts on that extra weight? And so I think he's got a high ceiling, but I'm not so sure there. Patrick, Patrick Sertan, I, I love it. I think that he could be a really good corner in the NFL, but you know, there's, there's questions about how fast is he, you know, does he have that like elite athleticism to go along with really good technique and, and um, a really high football IQ. Caleb Farley, I think has uh, that athleticism and that length that you want, but doesn't have a ton of experience. You know, he's still switching over to the cornerback position. He showed flashes last year, but he didn't, I would have liked to see him put together an entire year this year, but again, another opt-out guy, we didn't just get to see that. So I think with a lot of the top guys, especially with the top players opting out, Micah Parsons still remains that number one defensive player. Although we've got some guys coming up who are uh, making a dash for it. I mean, JC Horn, I thought had a fantastic year. Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, not that these guys are going to be defensive player one, but they're really rising up rankings. Quiddy Pay from Michigan, I think he's having a fantastic year as well. He's making a case to be the top edge rusher in this class. And so those are some guys that I think are on the way up, but not sure any of them overtake Parsons as the top defensive player. All right, last question. We'll leave you with this. Anyone in the 21 class who's your guy or a sleeper, someone under the radar that you like a lot more than everyone else at this point? I don't know if he counts as a sleeper, but in a wide receiver class that is stacked, Tylen Wallace is my dude. I've loved Tylen Wallace for like three years now, going back to when he was putting on a show as, as a sophomore at Oklahoma State. And so, you know, when he had the injury last year, I was pretty devastated because this was a guy who won a lot with quickness and separation and deep speed. And when you have a lower body injury, a knee injury like that, you just you never know if they're going to be that player again. And I think that he has regained a lot of his form. And I don't know where he's going to get drafted because he is a smaller type of receiver. I mean, he's got, he's got springs for for uh, for feet when it comes to jumping, and I do think that he is smooth and has that long speed. He knows how to catch through contact, but I don't know exactly where the NFL is going to draft him. And so, if I had to say, he would be my guy. He would wherever you have him ranked, I think that I'm going to have him ranked higher. That's that's all I'll say. I don't, I don't know how much of a sleeper that makes him, but uh, yeah, that's that's probably my guy in this class. Tylen Walls this season has grown a lot on me. I think Tylen Walls originally, I wasn't a huge fan. You didn't see him go against a ton of single coverage there playing at Oklahoma State in those defenses. But this year, you've seen a little bit more of it. He's won downfield a ton, wins that vertical route tree. Ball skills have looked better this year, in my opinion. Tylen Walls is definitely someone that has gone up on my board after this year. And talking to another analyst here at PFF who watches a ton of college football. He's our lead college football analyst, Anthony Tresh, who I encourage you to follow, Trey, if you don't. Um, but he's been really impressed with how much Tylen Walls has improved this year as well. They're asking him to do a lot of different things. I think he knows and Oklahoma State knows that adding to his route tree, giving him a more diverse uh, more diverse assignments downfield is going to elevate his stock, and I think he's done exactly that. Trevor, always great uh, always great when our paths cross. Really appreciate you coming on the pod. Uh, next time, it'll be a $5,000 Venmo. I know that's your normal rate, <laughs> five to 10000 whatever we have to do to get you back on the podcast, but really appreciate your stuff, man, and look forward to having you on again. Look, can I ask you a question really quick? And you, you don't have to pay me for this appearance if you can answer this question. Absolutely. I saw that Kyle Pitts right now has an overall season grade for y'all of 96. Do you yeah. know off the top of your hand what the highest ever is? Like that is it. 
He, I mean, he's got to be close, right? That is it. If he finishes the season with a 96-plus, I'm pretty sure that is the best single-season grade we've ever given an FBS player, dating back to when we first started in 2014. And it, rightfully so. I mean, Kyle Pitts is the best player on the football field every time he suits up, and uh, he's been truly, truly incredible. What, where is he at right now, Mike, on, on your board? So he's 96.0 with Chase Young as well. Oh, okay. So. So he has to beat Chase Young. Okay. So he has to beat okay. Chase Young. Okay. All right. No, I just want to know that. All right. So you don't have to pay me for that appearance. Uh, nice. The, Flor- the Florida grad in me uh, very much appreciates that he's contending for the number one college player in PFF history. So I really appreciate y'all having me on the podcast. It's always a good time. Absolutely. Tampa Bay Trey. Always love having that guy on the podcast. Really insightful dude. Love his Tampa Bay background, but also he can get really emphatic about the players he really likes in the class. And I think you love the energy from Tampa Bay, Trey. Fun fact, I went to Tampa this in like May or like of this year. Yeah. The buddy said, come down to Tampa, just like right after you left. And he gave me all the hot spots to go to though. Well. Nice. Yeah. That's always nice. I, I, do you, I ever told you I have this idea for an app where you go to a new city and similar to Yelp, but you like meet someone who's from there and they tell you all the best spots, the actual best spots. Ooh, I kind of like that. And there you have like their personality yes. or things they're into. Yes. And here's my favorite spots. Mm-hmm. You could potentially meet up with them. You know, mm. I don't know. Maybe it's Stranger Danger. But yeah. I have an idea for an app, and it's in the works. Copyright. I'm going to put my little C over that, but we'll see how it goes. I like um, that, actually. But, yeah, Tampa Bay. We're going to have to get him back on the well, podcast. What's the name for an app like that? You got a name? You have uh, name I don't know. I don't have a name for it yet. It's still in the beginning stages. Something. Hotspot. Hotspot's kind of hot. I kind of yeah. like that. Like, you are looking for the hotspots in a hotspot. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I hate um, to end like the podcast with this terrible po- app idea. Pocket Friends? No. Pocket friend? That got worse. Absolutely not. That was just shooting from the hip. Though. That was <laughs> definitely not. Friend. Pocket friend. Pocket friend. Why don't you Google pocket friend and see what comes <laughs> yeah, up? Yeah. I'm not gonna... Anyway. When you want to uh, cut that one from the pot. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's going to do it for the Wednesday episode of 2 for oh. Drafts. Always have uh, love having Trevor Sickham on for next week. we got the Monday and Wednesday episodes. We're jumping to three episodes a week here pretty soon. As soon as college football ends and we're going in full tilt in the NFL draft season, studying these guys. Um, Front to back, it's going to be a lot of fun there. Uh, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast uh, wherever you find your podcast. What are we Austin doing Gale, front to back to them. Never mind. Austin Gale, Mike Critter, two for one drafts. Mm-hmm.